And hello, and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. My name is Michael, and we're tonight for another episode of Detention Live. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Chris. Chris, say hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. And joining us tonight as a special guest co-host is Jake. Now, Jake is one of those weirdos that doesn't do social media, you know, like a smart person. Uh, but you might have been familiar with him. He was one of the players on the very long-running Ghosts of Saltmarsh stream that Tom was running, and he is now the GM for our new 5e game, The Everwar Saga. So, Jake, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Very excited. Um, I know you have a bit more of a history with improv, so you're, I'm sure you're going to put Chris and I to absolute shame when it comes to uh, the improv games tonight. But tell us a little bit about the Everwar Saga. I think there's only two episodes that have been out, maybe Session Zero, I think you also had out. So uh, yeah. anything about that you want to share before we get started? Yeah, so uh, if you haven't checked it out, definitely check it out. Uh, I'll just say it's it's not your typical D&D game where usually, you know, you have the same characters and you follow them through the complete story. We've decided to go weird with it where we're going to do six total arcs and each arc only lasting three to four sessions. And they're going to roll new characters for each of those arcs. And so we're almost to our last arc with these first set of characters. And as we enter an arc, there's going to be a time jump where all the decisions and things they did in that first thing are going to, we're going to see what those choices mean 50 years down the line, a hundred years down the line. And so really the world that we've built is the main character. And it's a, it's a scary world where as the sun goes down, creatures that cannot be killed rise from the darkness and they are they're trapped in their little villages or are they we'll have to tune in and find out excellent so uh, the way we normally kick things off here is our extracurricular and this is where we just talk about whatever's been going on recently we want to talk about um so chris i'll start with you this week what's been up to buddy uh lots of work uh i decided to volunteer myself to hire not one but four people uh, all at the same time. So my office went from 10 people to 14 uh, starting Monday. So it's been fun to try to train and do my normal job and support the rest of the staff. So I'm losing more of what's <laughs> on my head or it's more getting more gray. One of the two. Um, not sure which one it is, but uh, a lot of that, uh, getting ready for a big scout trip. Uh, not this Friday, but next Friday we leave for nine days had taken them down to West Virginia to go through the mountains. And on the way down, we're going to start stop at uh, Wright Patterson Air Force Base. Because I think it's important for scouts to see. That's right next that to where Catacon is going. Well, it's in that area, right? Forest. I think that's where Brad works or he works like next to it. Uh, so, yeah, that's right in our wheelhouse there. Yep. I'm excited because it'll, it'll give them an opportunity to see something that um, we're chartered at an American Legion. So a lot of the veterans talk about that stuff. So I think it'd be neat for them to actually see a little more of it. Uh, plus we get to camp right along the landing strip, they said, which means probably no sleep. <laughs> Just pretty normal for me when I go on a scout trip, because if it's not the kids that stay up late, it's the adults. Mm-hmm. So, let's so go. Skip Trip says hello. Hey, Skip. Uh, what's going on in your world, Jake? Uh, well, um, Man, I guess the main thing is, you know, just, you know, trying to survive life day to day. Uh, But I don't know, media wise, we've been consuming Better Call Saul. Anybody ever seen Better Call Saul? I have not seen any of season six, but I love that show. 
Oh, so I, I bought season six because it I guess it went off Netflix at some point because uh, they only have part one and then part two is airing now. And so I bought it on Amazon. And so we're at the point where we're waiting week to week for the episode to load. And mm-hmm. oh, my gosh, man, that mm-hmm. show is golden. It's good stuff. Um, and that like that's pretty much it. Like I just stream. We stream um, with RPG Academy, stream some Minecraft and whatever else we want to stream. And then, you know take care of children it's really boring it's repetitive but i thrive on repetitiveness my wife on the other hand she does not like the monotony i'm like give me that monotony mm-hmm. and my wife you. has told me multiple times i would do well in a structured um organization so she thinks like military would have been good for me at least at one <laughs> point in time because uh, i do like i'm i can get into a routine and it doesn't bother me to like go to the same place every day eat the same food every day i, I can just i'm i'm fine with that but then eventually i need a change then whatever I change to, I can do that for a very long time without <laughs> change. So, um, so best card. So Tom has jumped in and said, Jake is sad that we're not playing RPGs. And then, uh, Jay Thunderifics here as well with a hello. So welcome everybody. I appreciate you hanging hey, out. Justin. Uh, so anything else from you, Jake? I don't think so. I'm pretty boring. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Um, no, nothing at all. so as always, I have a ton of stuff going on. Um, Action 12 Cinema, again, we are very close to, I should uh, get the almost next to last copy in the next couple of days, and then I can start fishing it around to some publishers and start working on the crowdfunding campaign. Uh, Catacon nice. is only like two weeks from the Kickstarter launch. Uh, Tom and I have set up a whirlwind press tour. We're going to be on a whole <laughs> bunch of podcasts and some streams. I've got um, another actual play that we're trying to put together for a Pretty big podcast, so that would be a huge thing if we can make that work. Um, and then another actual play we're working on for a big, bigger than us, but not as big as the other one podcast. So definitely some, some you know, uh, that press tour thing we're working on. I'm very excited about. New York Taters with us. Welcome, sir. Happy to have you as Hope always. Um, so, yeah, so just lots of that. But the big news for me right now is, well, other than the Catacon, it's the very big news. So let me start over and say that again. So the Kickstarter for Catacon goes live August 9th. Uh, the preview thing is up live. So if you click on the links I posted all over Twitter and Facebook, you can go and get notified upon launch. Um, this morning we had 19 people. I threw out some tweets and Facebook pages were up to like 33, which is great. But honestly, I'm not going to be happy till we get close to a hundred. Cause I'm always completely nervous when we launch Kickstarters. I'm always afraid it's not going to fund. And I'm, I'm right that where now I'm like, did I set the goal too high? Did I set it too low? Is, you know, when are we launching? Is that going to work? So I'm going to be a nervous wreck. From the moment it goes live until the, either it ends or we fund or both. Uh, so please help me if you're going to support. Support early. Because remember, because people forget this every year, they don't charge you until the very end. So every year I have someone say, well, I'm going to support you, but I don't get paid till Friday. Understand that. But you can support now because they won't charge you until later. Um, so just make sure you double check it in case when it does charge you're not healthy in the bank account. I totally get that. But don't wait to support support right away. But the other thing for me is Gen Con. That is next week. So by this time next week, I will be in in Indianapolis, hopefully already through the vaccine line to show them my card and get my my wristband that says I'm good to go for the whole week. I've got my schedule planned out. I'm running a panel Thursday morning. I'm running my Scooby-Doo Dread Thursday night. And then the rest of the time, I'm just playing games. I got quite a few really excited ones I'm uh, excited to get into games I haven't played before settings, uh, that kind of thing. So absolutely just cannot wait to get to Gen Con. And then the sucky thing is that I go back to work next week. I've been off for all of July. 
And then on Monday and Tuesday, I have to go to back to my real job. And then I'm off for, for Gen Con for the rest of the week. So a lot going on with me as always, but as most of the time, it's good stuff. Um, I get to play RPGs with my childhood best friends. I've talked about that on Twitter. Uh, we have our next game scheduled, uh, playing games with my kids. Both of them are supposed to be running a one-shot for us here. And then I think I'm going to start a game with some of them and their friends to play as well. So all kinds of nerd parent goodness. I'm very excited. Um, and I can't wait for stuff to start happening. And, and then, of course, share it with all you fine people. Nice. All right. Well, so with that out of the way, we're going to jump into our first improv game of the night, and that is 10 Things. Um, and if you're not familiar, basically, we're going to take turns prompting one another to come up with a list of things that fit the prompt. Uh, the idea of the game is immediacy is more important than accuracy. So coming up with a list quickly is better in terms of the game than trying to take your time and come up with a good list. So, Jake, you're the, the special guest tonight. So would you like to go first in terms of prompting Chris or I, or would you like to receive your prompt first? Uh, I think I would like to receive first. All right. So I will prompt you. You'll prompt Chris and then Chris will circle the loop with me. Uh, so we were talking before we went live that you have been doing some 3D printing, printing some terrain and stuff. So give me 10 things that you wish that you could print with your 3D printer. Oh, okay. 10 things I wish I could print. Um, more scatter terrain. Uh, more miniatures that would come pre-painted somehow magically through my 3d printer um more um traps like 3d traps those would be really cool to print um more board game organization trays oh i printed a couple yeah for code names and stuff oh it's so nice uh let's see um miniature holders i I printed one of these i need some more where you put your mini on it and then you don't cramp your hand up um let's see man this is getting difficult now um man i wish i could print legos that would be nice then i have to pay for them um mm, let's see let's see oh man I wish I could print video games. This Seven. is just getting into really crazy things that don't matter. And, matter. and I, could, I wish I could print money. Eight. Eight. I wish I could print student loan reform. Nine. <laughs> I wish I could print a friend. Ten. Ten. That was, in fact, a list of 10 things. Oh, man. Okay. Right. So you will prompt Chris. All right. Oh, okay. Let's see, Chris. Um, we were talking earlier about um, your board game collection. Okay. So what 10 games do you wish existed in the world that don't currently exist now? Ooh. Uh, the story of my life. What? <laughs> the game. Yep. yep. The story of my yep. life. The game. A Chris uh, Perlow story. Yep. Uh, how to podcast. Two. Uh, how to cook better. Three. Uh, how to make better eyesight. Four. Uh, how to regrow my hair, the game. Five. How to move uh, from Kentucky to Michigan. Six. That's a hint, Michael. <laughs> uh, let's see, board games. Um, I would actually like to see a Stranger Things board game. Mm, seven. They're working on uh, this. Uh, oh, good. Uh, a good Star Wars board game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Uh, a life-size Marvel action figures that you get to maneuver. Nine. And we'll go with uh, giant bumper cars in my backyard. Ten. <laughs> I had, in fact, a list of 10 things. So 
If we move, it will not be north. I will tell you that right now. <laughs> All right. Hit me up. All right. Uh, let's see here. Uh, let's go back with the catacomb. Ten things you want to see at the catacomb. About 500 people. One. <laughs> New York Trader says, get Michael better internet. Yes, we need to print that somehow. Um, the return of some of our special guests that haven't made it recently. All right. Two. A whole bunch of prizes that have been donated to give away. Three. Uh, the press to cover us so we get more attention. Four. Um, my kids. Five. Mm, a lot of other kids. I don't know. Six. Weird and creepy. Uh, food that's not from the DCC that's totally legal for us to have there. Ooh, seven. That's a big one. Uh, um, free internet for everyone. Eight. Uh, full vendors. Every vendor spot taken. Nine. And um, you. Ten. Yay! Yay! That was, in fact, a list of ten things. This would be the uh, first year that I've been to a catacomb where Quentin won't be there. I know. It's kind of sad. We get free labor from him. He always does a lot of work. Yep. He'll be at uh, at college. So. Yeah. He's that old. And I'm That's that old. <laughs> All right, so we're going to move into our used book section, and this is where we usually talk about a campaign that one of us has either ran or played in. Uh, we're going to discover kind of in general what it was about, what we did there, and then the idea is that we're going to mine this for lessons learned, things that went well that we've tried to take into other games, or maybe something we tried that didn't work so well and we've evolved away from or changed our mind or something like that. Jake, you're the guest tonight. Do you have a campaign you want to talk about? I do have a campaign I want to talk about. Fantastic. Well, maybe I don't want to talk about it, but it exists. <laughs> So let's see. I was in college um, one of my last years, I guess, around that time. Uh, and I was working at the Geek Squad, which is where I guess the core of my friendship comes from. Tom's brother. That's where I met him. And so that's the, the beginning of the uh, journey with Tom. Um, and so uh, basically they're like, oh, you should come play D&D. And so they played, I think, maybe three sessions. And it was like, DM didn't want to DM anymore and it just kind of died. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, this is the most amazing thing. And just a little tiny backstory. Uh, I come from a very religious uh, skewed family and my mom was on the bandwagon of, you know, we're all going to go to hell if we even, you know, pick up a Dungeons and Dragons book. Um, Cause I was actually offered at one point to play during high school. And I was like, Oh no, I'll go to hell. I can't do that. Uh, so needless to say, uh after playing it i was like this is the greatest thing ever i was like we can't stop and they're like well we don't have a dm and i was like well i'll do it with absolutely no knowledge other than the three sessions that i played um and all i cared about during this campaign was the story that i had crafted and mm -hmm. just right off the bat that is the worst way that you can do a DD campaign jumping in and saying nothing else matters my story reigns supreme because it's collective storytelling, right? Not singular storytelling. Um, and some of the, the the main, you know, story of the campaign was just like, you know, here are heroes. And we wanted to use the same ones, but I didn't want to be locked in the Forgotten Realms because I didn't know anything about the lore. So sure. the DM kind of like helped me write a transition where this magical crystal zapped them into my homebrew world. And so... Uh, everybody got to keep their characters that they had. And I just kind of picked up from there and they come in and there's like this evil people called the shadow cult. And they're kind of being bad guys and killing people and doing something weird. Um, and about 
halfway through what I had planned, they were supposed to be chasing down the shadow cult. And at the end, they were going to find out, oh my gosh, the shadow cult is actually the good guys. They just have horrible tactics for what they're doing and they don't care about whatever life that they kill along the way to achieve their goal. Um, so about halfway through, I'm like, hey, what's this cool magic item? The deck of many things. And so I decided to throw that in there, right? They pull it and the first one they pull is the wish spell. And I, I just very quickly look up what the wish spell is and does. And of course, one of the experienced players is the one who pulls it. And so he very carefully crafts his wish. So, you know, it's not a thousand bucks. And then he gets a thousand deer on his doorstep where he wants the shadow cult to have never existed. Well, here I'm going, well, great. This is the good guys. So I went back and I re-examined everything I had written in my amazing story that I wrote and found like the... um catalyst event for what started this shadow cult and i made that event not happen and then i thought about what would happen history wise so then they come out of this place this cave or whatever that they're in where they find it and of course now the who they thought were the good guys are the bad guys and it's like nazi germany you know like they come out and their flags are everywhere and they're like oh crap the shadow cult was the good guys and then so they have like this guy's journal that they had gotten before and so they actually go back and they follow his plan but they whenever they do part of the things like they care about human life and so like they become the shadow cult that they got out of existence and Mm so it it was a really boring campaign until that event happened um but like that was it was such a big mistake looking back at it thinking wow i really just threw that in there with no forethought whatsoever and just got lucky that I was able to recover from that. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people will say like, oh, don't use that. Don't use that in your campaign. And looking back on it now, like every single one of those cards is written in a way that can progress the story. Because like even the one card where it, you know, shoves you into a, a bottle or whatever and your soul is trapped for whatever, it tells you that the it's trapped somewhere in the world. So there you go. If that's an important party member, they're now part of the campaign is going and finding this guy and rescuing him, you know, let him roll up a quick like NPC or let him, you know, do whatever, you know, if he if he's going on hiatus, do it then. I don't know. Yeah, but I don't know. I think that's the first thing is the deck of many things is not as bad as it is. You just have to really read and be prepared and think about, okay, how am I going to do specifically this? and of course, the wish spell is always a little iffy anyway. But once you hit what level eighteen or whatever, then they got it for free. So who cares? <laughs> yeah, you you had mentioned before we started recording that you would probably talk about this. And my first response is, I think the deck of many things is a great thing to use when you want your campaign to end. Um, and then as soon as you mentioned it, Jay Thunderific was like, "Ah, oh, the game killer." So it definitely has a, a reputation that when you bring it in, your game is going to die. And I think what you're saying is it doesn't have to die, but it will probably drastically change. Yeah, and if, if you're looking for that, you know, event to shake things up and really, like, throw the players a curveball, they're doing boring quests and yada yada, like, just do it. Because the players, they will tell you, anybody who's in there, they will tell you it was their most fun night was seeing the results because we ended right after they wished. I was like, okay, that's the end of the night. We're going to end right there. And they were so excited to come back to see the results of what they had wished. And then from then on out, it was like they were so afraid to pull any cards, Mm -hmm. even though majority of them are actually pretty good. 
uh, well, I guess there are a few bad eggs in there, but like after that one was out of the way, they're just kind of like, man, I I'm nervous. And it, it added this tension where they, they wanted to try and trick other NPCs into pulling one of the cards from the deck and what, and like, I don't know. It was just, it was a lot of fun and not as bad as it seems. Yeah. So uh, New York Trader was referring to you, Chris, earlier. He said he has you beat because his son is 30 years old. So Oof. don't feel old about having a college age kid. You know, feel bad when your your kid has a kid in college. Yeah. Um, so I know you've got more to talk about, Jake, but I, I do want to talk a little bit about because this is something that I think about a lot because, you know, I try to be a good ambassador and bring people into the hobby. And I try to like when I, at Gen Con, I'm running a seminar on how to start running D&D, like how to get started in there. And I became a DM somewhat by luck, but also because I was the one who was most into reading and telling stories and writing stories. And I think that's something that a lot of people are drawn to when you want to be a DM. It's like, well, you're the best at being a storyteller, so you should be the DM. But being able to write a story, I don't think is always what translates well to DMing. I think it's if you're good at telling stories, you're good at details. And I think that can be the key to telling a good story in the role-playing games is because you want the players' actions and what they do to really help form the story, but then you get to add the little flourishes. You get to bring that NPC who was supposed to be a nobody, but now the, the characters have adopted and make mm-hmm. them interesting and fun. You know, you're the one who just throws in a detail about this world that was just like a fun thing that, oh, yeah, in this world, you know, everyone's left-handed. And then then you try to make that into a story thing because the players think that's really interesting or whatever. I'm just making up bad examples here. But I think that is the detail that you can really pull from being a good storyteller isn't this is a story and you're going to play through it. That almost, I'll say almost never works, but being able to take something that they did, like in your case, a wish that could completely derail your campaign, but thinking of like, well, how would this actually work in a good story and then using that to propel your campaign in a way that you did not anticipate and they could never expect it and still make it fun. So I think that's why it worked in your specific case, because I still think the deck of many things is a terrible idea in almost every other case, but hey, you made it work. So that's why the almost is in there. Um, so Chris, anything you'll, uh, on Jake's story so far? I, I want to touch on, you said my story. You, you wanted to tell your story. And I know that a lot of people say, oh, as a GM, you should never go in and tell your story. You should want to tell the group story. And I agree with that. I think as a GM, it's okay to come into a game though and go, I have my concept and some ideas I want to put to this. Let's see where those go. So I think it's, I think people get too wrapped into the whole word, my and story. And I think we just kind of need to think about it's my concept. I want to throw in like, uh, the most recent example I did is I wanted to tie some of the Dresden file stuff in with the shadow of the demon Lord game. So I developed ideas to give them all the, the fallen angels and really kind of mess with them, but I still let the story kind of develop as they were creating their characters. So as a GM, I don't think it's bad to come up with your concept and then try to figure out how to help the players kind of weave your concept into it. Cause I think as a GM, you need to have fun with it too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Absolutely. And, you know, I think there's, there's some like syntax that sometimes we can get caught up in what things mean mm-hmm. versus what we mean them to mean. Because um, mm-hmm. I'm a big believer that the DM should provide a plot to the story. 
but the players will kind of dictate what happens. So the plot is what would happen if your players didn't exist. You know, the evil necromancer is kidnapping children, taking them into the swamp so that he can sacrifice them to raise the undead army. If your players decide not to interact with that story, then that is what's going to happen. I think it's totally fine. In fact, I don't know that I could run a game that I don't have a plot in mind because that's one of my things Mm -hmm. that I think is fun about running is coming up with that plot. But I have to know that if my players don't care about my plot, that I'm not going to force them to. I'm not going to be like, oh, well, now you can't leave the swamp because of the mountains that weren't there or whatever the case may be. That's then that's just what's going to happen. And then now later we're going to deal with the zombies being raised. And then you're going to have, you know, that it's okay to have a plot in my opinion, but don't force the players to interact with it. Let them interact with it however they want. Now, unless your players are just being jerks, I think most of the time they, they come to the table knowing that they're playing a D and D game. And if there's kids being kidnapped into a swamp, then they're probably going to get involved, but they might not get involved in the way you thought. So maybe they decide to dress up as kids and get kidnapped because why the heck not, right? And then they get taken to the evil necromancer's lair, and you thought, well, they were going to have to, like, fight through the swamp for three sessions, and instead they're like, we get a free ride to the to the end of the quest. Great. That's a great idea. I think it's hilarious. I'm going to go with that. So I'm going to change what I do based on what they do, but the plot, I think, is my domain, at least to start with. Though, one more caveat, I'm a big believer in session zero. Ding, everyone take a drink, because that's what we do here that I let the players create their characters before we actually start the campaign. And so I'm going to base my campaign around their characters. So I'm still going to come Mm -hmm. up with a plot, but I'm probably going to use things from their background, their backstory in the plot that I create rather than having an idea before they create their characters. So I'm sure both of you have something to say. So I'll go to Chris and then we'll circle back to Jake. Uh, Next thing, the deck of many things I've used it before. I did something similar to what you did. I let them pull cards out and they were getting the lucky, hey, I get this, I get that. Hey, I'm jumping up in levels. Now I've got this magic item. Then they pulled the wish card. And of course they did something just like you said. I wish in this, in case it was a dragon they were trying to kill, would just never have been born. Perfect. Like you did, the world changed. For them though, all of a sudden the world became hell, literally, because that dragon was keeping the devils and demons at bay. But for us, it worked out well because they were already high enough level that now I could justify, oh, you just jumped up basically three levels. You know, welcome to a pit fiend. Good luck. Roll to hit. So I liked how you did it. It's similar to how I did it in the past. Um, I really like using things like that to drastically change things and really kind of make the players go, well, I wasn't expecting that. Well played, sir. (laughs) And then it gives them something more to play off of. Uh, so Jay Thunderific jumped in that uh, they feel the GM should set the stage and give a backdrop to a story that will become the group story. And I, again, I that's a good way to say it. Absolutely agree with it. And they also say session zero is great. So everybody, ding, take another drink. All right. So we're back to you, Jake. So again, you can respond, react to anything we've said, or you can continue telling your story about your campaign, whatever you want to do. Yeah. Uh, so touching on a little bit on the story stuff, at, like I've definitely grown, I think, way past that. And like even now with the campaign, I've been running this one for like five years, uh, not the Everwar. This is my private one. Um, and when we did session zero there, I didn't write a single line. I didn't do any pre-planning, anything at all. Oh, I said, oh, OK, I won't say it again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and um, but everything after that thing that we did um we 
I, I use every bit of their backstory, every bit of connections that they made together. And so the, the whole campaign there, every single character has their own arc where they know like, hey, my character is taking center stage. We're still all playing this together, but most of the story beats will rely on their character's background and whatever. And I think it, this also ties into Critical Role somehow, because I guess that might be how he, uh, Matt Mercer, did it for the session, whatever. I'm not a big critter. I don't watch Critical Role. So you can draw your own illusions there if you are. Um, but yeah, it, it was it was quite a different experience to build stuff off of what I was given rather than just say, this is my campaign. I don't care if your characters are down with it. This is what we're doing. And so there was a lot of growth. And I think it just comes with time. Um, yeah, so that, that's my two cents on that. Um, continuing down the line of horrible mistakes made during this campaign, um, I had another friend that wanted to check out D&D. They were like, oh, I'm kind of curious. You know, I want to see what's going on. And of course, I am, you know, a lot of sessions in at this point. And I was like, oh, sure, I can handle you. No problem. You just jump right in. You make whatever character you want. I don't care. And so he makes a very cringy, bad character that is not even worth talking about. But it, it ended up being one of my biggest regrets looking back because another character actually died during that session due to what this other guy did. Cause mm-hmm. I didn't say let's do a one shot so you can try it out. I just let him into the fold. Yep. Here you go. Let's throw your character in there. And looking back, I'm so embarrassed about just how I handled that and what like the level of disrespect that it, I looking back that I had for everybody's character, because to me, I was still in that mindset of, well, this is my game. This is my story. Your characters can live and die. I don't care. And, um, and of course that guy, he, he didn't ever come back. Like he was like, Oh, it's not really for me, but he had fun that one night, but he's like, no, nah, I don't want to take it seriously. Like you guys are, I just want to, you know, come in and mess around and then get this guy killed. And so that's, that's one thing that if you want to invite people in to try D and D, you know, do it separately. Don't shove them into your campaign thinking that, Oh, well, they'll just play an NPC this one night because it'll make sense. Cause you don't know, how that's going to affect the rest of your players. Because if they do one thing that causes harm or something lost, even something stupid, like a magic item, like, Oh, that guy has that now. And I lost that. And I, you know, I built my whole character around having that. It's, it's just not fun for everybody else when the dust clears and that guy leaves. Yeah. So that's one of my biggest regrets. I yep. think from that. I talk about that with made men. I brought in a, a new player uh, who was a returning player to my home game, but but the group we were currently playing with, none of them knew him. He was like, he was around for before he had to leave for a while. I think it was work. Maybe he was, I think it was the military. So I think he may have like went back on active duty. So, you know, like a year has passed. I'm playing a new game with new players. And then he shows back up. I'm like, Oh yeah, I just come in. I'm going to, it's going to be great. I'm like, like, you know, you're in, but I won't tell them cause they're going to meet you that night. And it was terrible. Uh, we made it work. <laughs> But uh, the players were not happy. They felt kind of betrayed that I just sprang on this brand new player. We had this, you know, everybody had this sort of charisma with each other. I uh, 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 can't think of the words right now. Uh, rapport. And then I just upset the apple cart with this new player. And eventually it worked out. But I should have told them ahead of time, hey, I'm introducing this new character, this new player. It just, I, again, I was going for that DM uh, moment where I got to reveal that they're really there. And it was it was bad. I, again, I disrespected my existing players and didn't take their feelings into account. And I, I regret doing that. I will say too, I think 
there's a level of learning that comes with being a DM where a lot of us start with the, this is my story and it's not really my story. It's a group story. I think players often go through a similar journey where this game is about my character versus my character is about the group story. Um, I know, you know, when I first started playing my, I was, you know, again, it was based off all the novels I had read, the fantasy novels, and almost all of them are a single protagonist. And so now you're jumping into this group dynamic. So I think there's there's a level up that players can go through as well, where they realize that my character is just one of many in this, you know, whole gallery of, of characters. And, and my place is to some nights, the story's about me and my backstory and my story and advancements and whatever. And then other nights, it's about someone else's character. My job is to make sure everyone has fun every night. Um, so that's just sort of a parallel there. Chris, you have anything? Continuing with what you were just saying, uh, as a GM, I think a lot of us have experienced the player going, I don't like that. Can we go this way with it? And you just want to look at them like, that it's not your moment. That's Jake's moment. Let's let Jake have his moment. I'll get back to you, Michael. I know that you're not the center of stage right now, but you know you have to give. I, I've described it this way to new players. It's almost like tug of war. All right, Michael, it's your turn to pull on the rope. Okay, next session, Jake, it's your turn. Just let the rope go back and forth. Neither of you are ever going to truly win the tug of war, so to speak, but it's just let the rope go back and forth. And then you can both enjoy having kind of that spotlight. Um, but yeah, I think we've all experienced that player that gets a little too into their own character and their own character's story. Right. But you want to encourage that to a point because you want your players to care mm-hmm. and you want them to be excited and you want them to be invested. But the, it is a balancing act. And I think it's one of those like soft skills that's hard to teach as being a DM, but you, you've develop it over time is how do you share that spotlight so that no one feels like they've been left out. Uh, one of the things that I did in our shadow spawns game, which sadly at this point we haven't played in like nine months, I think it's just dead. I'm going to have to stop trying to pretend like it's not, but I would just tell them like before we start, I'd be like tonight, it's going to be a Brad night. So there's going to be a mm-hmm. lot of stuff with Brad's character. I want everybody to participate. I want everybody to have fun. But tonight I'm going to focus on his character. And then the next session, all right, so now it's about Lisa's character. And I would just set those expectations before we started. And, you know, with that particular group, I think that worked perfectly fine. Other groups, it may not. But I'm not above, again, setting expectations out of game if I know there's going to be a big moment. Like, I want Chris to make sure that this is that moment. And I'll just tell people, there's probably going to be a moment tonight where something in Chris's backstory is going to become very important Make sure we give Chris time. And I mm-hmm. I don't think there's absolutely anything at all wrong with doing that. Some other people may disagree, obviously, it's opinion, but that's what I've been doing. I've had a lot of success with that. Yeah, me too, for sure. Yeah. Sure. I, Jake, um, it sounds like you did a lot of the uh, same stuff I did. <laughs> oh. Very similar things that I've done. So I can relate to a lot of what you were just yeah. describing. Uh, you know, I got thrown into GM. GMing, you know, in college because nobody else wanted to, and I really wanted to play, but uh, none of us had the books. So a lot of my early stuff was me just picking up monsters, and I don't have stats for them. I'm just making this up as we go, which some people drove them nuts. Other people were like, cool, who cares? What is it? Roll. They just didn't care, Um, Mm -hmm. which is where I really learned the skill of just uh, fudging numbers and, oh, you've done a lot of damage. I think now it's time for them to die. Yes. I've had a lot of creatures that I created that 
never really had hit points. I just, sometimes it, at that time, I just went, okay, it's going to last uh, six rounds. Let them do damage, just write numbers down, and after six rounds, it dies. Like that. Yeah, my favorite battles are where you take some kind of mundane creature, and we actually did this in the last episode of um, the Everwar saga, where Tom's character is like, it's he's fighting a goblin boss, which is just like a tiny souped up goblin, like just mm-hmm. barely more. But just the way that I was describing how he was looking at Tom and how he was like, it just made him so much more menacing that I let him go a couple rounds longer just because him and Tom were like doing this like nemesis kind of battle thing between each other. And it's just like if this and that's where I almost feel like that's like a story battle more than anything. It's like if it's driving forward plot, keeping people interested, then, you know, but you can tell when people are just like boringly rolling their dice, trying to kill this thing because they know it's not a threat and it's not balanced Mm -hmm. correctly because I forgot about its reaction or whatever else I forgot about that's causing this battle to be boring. That's my worst thing is combat. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah. We're just storytellers. That's what we are, us three. Mm-hmm. I'd say mm-hmm. one of the things I've done with combat that has made a drastic improvement, in my opinion, is when the battle's decided, I'll just let it be over. You know, like because mm. there's I have so many times where we would play and there'd be like that one goblin left, mm-hmm. and you attack Jake. Oh, you missed. All right, Chris, roll. Oh, you missed. All right, it yeah. it hit you, Chris, for two points of damage. All right, Jake, roll again. Oh, you missed again. It just it. There can be humor in that to a point, but pretty much at this point, if, if I, if again, I think there's a reason why there's a person that's the DM and it's not just a computer controlled simulation. And I think that it's my job to make the decision of, in this case, it's better to be like, you know, these goblins, they're not going to be able to, to hurt you substantially. So some might run away. You're going to be able to take out the rest. Let's just wrap up and we're going to cut to the battle being over. And you know, it's when the game's not fun anymore, I get back to the fun stuff. And yeah. if the, the combat has become boring, I will end the battle. Same way if we're trying to do a role play session and it's just not going well and no one's excited, guess what? There's a bunch of goblins just kick down the door. Let's roll an initiative. Because sometimes you have to jump into combat because it's fun. And I think sometimes you got to jump right back out of it. Yeah. 100% All agree. Right. So anything so, else from your uh, your learning yeah, days I, of DMing? Yes, here we go. Here's some more. <laughs> uh, so I did this uh, as an experiment, uh, and this is more towards the middling end of the campaign. So I had even more confidence than I did before, <laughs> thinking that I made no mistakes so far. Um, and so I had Perfect built up. Note. Yes. Uh, I built up this magic item that they need, you know, the MacGuffin in order for them to finally slay the evil or whatever. But it was sort of locked behind this tournament that people were having, you know, classic tournament. And so uh, everybody, I think there was, I think, four people or five people, one of the two numbers as like the main players, the core set. And so I was like, okay, it's teams of four or five, whatever arbitrary number it is. I think it was four. Um, And so what I actually did is I found a bunch of other friends to step in and play as basically another team of four, you know? And so like they came in and there was like 12 people all crammed into my little tiny apartment. And it sounds really bad. Like, it's just like, Oh my gosh, this is awful. But strangely enough, because I had prepped so much and I was actually, I was like, this is how many people is going to be here. This is what I want to do. It was actually semi okay. There was a lot of dead air in between certain things. Um, And looking back on it, I would never attempt to do it with that number of people again. Um, 
and definitely not in like my main campaign. I think that would be cool for like a kind of convention thing where you run two tables and you've got two DMs, but then at the end they kind of meet together and fight it out over whatever. And they didn't realize that the table behind them was actually playing the same campaign, but on the other side of the forest, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And then the whole thing ends in PVP. I think that would be a really cool concept, but um looking back on it it was kind of an interesting concept of there was different like sections and there was like sort of like this written portion because like i don't know if you guys watch naruto but the tuning exams like they have different levels of the tuning exams where they become full ninjas and so i pretty much just ripped that off you know classic D style and there's a written portion and so there was a written portion for the uh the the thing as well which is kind of funny but you know, I was I was really clever in my uh, my young age DM ship that I was so smart that I was like, I'm just going to rip off something and nobody will know. Um, and so yeah, we all it, steal stuff. The ones that are good will make it unrecognizable to the. Players. Yes, that's that's true. the key. That's the the difference. But yeah, uh, there's I don't know if there's a good thing or a bad thing. This was just like a middling one because the concept was kind of cool the way it played out. It just it was not good for a starting DM. But join me at AcadaCon where we'll run two tables and PVP them, right? Yeah, I, uh, I've i had some I'm horror in. stories about playing in really big groups. When Again, when we first started playing, it was basically just me and Brandon, Bill, and Joe. But then when we got into high school, we started to find a couple other groups. Like we were trying to find other people to play with. And we had a couple um, like forays where we play with this guy for just a little while. We played with these people just for a little while. Uh, but there was one group that we played with that it was like 20 kids. Like, I don't know, I don't know who it was, but someone had access to like a church basement. And so they all met up there and there was like 20 different people. And so we were all playing the same campaign, but like we were never at the same table together. Like other people like was be off doing things like, I don't like hula hooping and just like weird stuff because there would be so much time between turns. Like we, we would go and then the, the, in the GM was rolling for every single attack for all of the monsters. So, I mean, it would literally be like an hour between when I would go and it would be my turn again. So people would just get up and wander around and they, you know, they form little side groups. And, but part of the reason why it took an hour is because that would happen. And then be like, Oh, it's Missy's turn. Well, Missy's, you know, she went to get soda at the convenience store, you know, and it was awful so i have some definite horror stories and nightmares about running for for groups which is part of the reason why my favorite group size is three like in a perfect world i run for three people and at this point i will not run for more than five i just will not do it. so if i go to convention i'm running a game five is the absolute most most i'll run because i think i am not a good enough dm in that regard it will it'll start being less fun for other people so not only is it my own anxiety about that, but I just feel like I'm going to give a worse experience to not just the six person, but all six people by letting that six person sit down. Chris, have you ever had any experience with particularly large groups or any advice or thoughts there? Uh, I've run a couple tables that are about 10 people. Um, also just demoing Star Wars. It's not bad if you really explain it to everybody of, hey, look, it's going to take a, a few seconds to get through some of these turns. Please think ahead of what you're going to do. Here's a little cheat sheet that kind of walks you through some of the actions and maneuvers you can do. And then it's a little easier to go around that way. Not really on a, a campaign or anything like that. Um, mostly because 
we really couldn't find big groups like that or i just didn't want to like mm. I, the idea of being stuck in a small apartment with 20 people all trying to fight over funyuns and mountain dew and dice just wasn't my thing yeah um, i do think the concept of a demo it feels a little bit different to me like if i know if i'm mm -hmm. like if i go to gen con next week and i sign up for a demo then it probably wouldn't bother me as much if there was like eight people on the table because I feel like that's usually gentlemen. Those are like two-hour games and they're very rules-based. Like we're just trying to teach you how this game works uh, versus like a four-hour session. Again, I don't know if it's true or not, but, but how my mind would feel like it's a little bit different. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and then one thing I want to mention, Jake, I don't know if you know this or not, but Tom and I wrote a two-table um, session that we've ran a couple times, once at Sin City Con and once at the um, – the game store in Woodburn games where we have, they don't fight each other at the end, but we have one group that's in like a very high fantasy. Everyone has plus four magic armor and weapons in another world where it's like post-apocalyptic and they barely have a, like a, they have like a tin can that's been crushed and they're using it as a dagger. Um, and they fought this phase Hydra and when he attacks people, there's a chance he can get thrown into the other room. So throughout the game, uh -huh. people are switching tables and they're going from the high magic to the low magic and low magic to the high magic. Um, and the end, spoilers, after they defeated the Hydra, everything has to be balanced back out, but it doesn't have to be the exact same people. So you, sometimes you have people who will volunteer to go into the wastelands and allow someone else to stay behind or other times they'll fight over like, I'm not going back to that hellscape. Um, and that's kind of where we get a little bit of PvP at the end, which I thought was really fun. We ran out twice. Both times it worked very, very well, unless Tom jumps in and tells me I'm a liar. Because my memory of both of those games, that they were a lot of fun. See, I've always wanted to run one where the DMs are back-to-back -back with two tables. And every time somebody rolls a one, the GMs have to switch tables. Oh. oh. <laughs> because then I'd be like, okay, where were we? Uh-oh, we were in a fight. Oh, uh, one. I got to go over here now. All right, so we're in a... And the players will be like, we're in a bar. This is what's going on. And then the mm -hmm. GM has to react to it. Um, that I, I would think actually it, be really cool. Unrelated, but it made me think of it. Um, Brad at Gen Con has done this thing. It's called the Iron GM. And it's like the Iron Chef where people show up and they're given like ingredients. And they have to run a game based off of the prompts that they're given. And there's actually prizes. Like each player has like a sheet and they have to score the GM on how they hit certain things and you can win prizes. Maybe we could do something like that at a catacon. Yeah. I would be psyched sign up. That'd be fun. Yeah. So I'm yeah. sorry. Were you going to say something else, Chris? I think I feel like I stepped on you there. No, that's all right. I would say, I think that'd be a fun, like I said, switching the GMs. I think it'd be fun to see it, just how it played. I think you'd have to tell everybody up front. It may end up being a little bit more of a goofy game. Yeah. And please don't take this super serious type thing because you know, I, I think it'd be really fun, especially with kids. Because I think the kids would get a kick out of the GMs, you know, mm -hmm. almost being flustered to switch back to the table and be like, okay, where are we? Oh, we're trying to steal a pony. Okay. <laughs> you jump back to the table and like, we're trying to rescue the princess. All right. And, you know, you have to just keep going with it. Um, All right, Jake, but, anything else from your list of things that you've done worse oh, and will see. now do better? All right. So homebrew. So the campaign itself was homebrew, right? But some of my characters, they had um, 
like they had joined like a little bit late, but they only because they were like on vacation or something. And so we knew they were coming back and it was wasn't a weird situation where they came back in. But when they came back in, they were like, hey, we want to roll up some characters using this homebrew from Avatar, the last airbender. Mm. And of course, I was just like, yep, sure. Sounds good. Just assuming that uh, I guess people think about balancing and whatever <laughs> when when making homebrew. Well, there was a rude awakening when mm-hmm. they came in, like throwing around elemental things left and right with like no no cooldowns, no nothing. Like it would, and it it really crippled for a little bit the campaign because it was like it was all just about them in combat, and then you know they were also kind of talkers outside of combat. So it was just like it was the them show, and mm-hmm. so sneaky behind the curtain maybe not it's so nice dm uh had their characters killed and then suddenly those homebrews were outlawed <laughs> yeah. i um i i do what it's called homebrew like whenever i run a game it's almost always in my own world but i pretty much stick to the rules as written uh, i have a few home rules that I've, I've i've made a couple small exceptions but for the most part i'm running from the books and if I do anything homebrew, it's like magic items. I love to make up my own magic items that do, because I don't give out many, but when I do, I want them to be unique and special, that kind of thing. Uh, but the few times I have used homebrew, I've always said, this is all on a contingency basis. And at any time I can say no, I can change, or I can nerf anything you're doing if it is unbalanced. But at this point, I just don't mm-hmm. even do it anymore. Yeah. So Chris, is there a lot of homebrew in the Star Wars, Star Wars world? Not so much because Star Wars fans are vocal if you don't get it right. Mm. Like that's the nice way I could say that. Uh, so I don't do a lot of homebrew with the Star Wars. I do a whole lot more research on what's actually in the lore, uh, which in a way is can be easier, but also can be a whole lot more difficult. Trying to wrap your story around some of the current lore can sometimes be a little challenging. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sometimes I stretch it a little bit and hope nobody says anything or, and there are sometimes I've just blatantly just ignored it. And when somebody's called me out, I'm like, Oh, I didn't know that. How many, there's billions of people in the, or billions of planets. So I can't keep them all straight. So um, I, when you're talking about the homebrewed characters, it just reminded me of all the splat books from 3.5 and third edition. Oh, yeah. Same thing. I had somebody bring in a, Oh, I've, look it's in this rule book and you're like wow that just slapped everybody else in the face as far as what they can do mm-hmm. so we used to limit it to here are the books you're allowed to make characters out of we're not going outside of them uh, same concept though you don't want one player really outshining the rest because then they feel like they just became cheerleaders mm-hmm. yeah. and now they just switch to playing bards with loots and they just sit off to the side cheering on the good guy <laughs> yeah i'm surprised we didn't talk about that at all the uh so we'll do the D and D movie. Um, is it honor amongst thieves or honor, yes. honor, of- honor yeah. amongst thieves? Yeah. So Jake uh, reactions to the D and D trailer. Uh, up, well, up, I was going to, I was going to say a 10 out of 10, but they had the Druid wild shape into a monstrosity and not mm-hmm. a beast. Mm-hmm. So nine out of 10, because you know, the lore they're uh-huh. they can't follow the rules. They're homebrewing in the movie, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, what about you, Chris? Thoughts on the trailer? I, I'm hopeful. The problem is the first D&D movie came out was about thieves. So I'm really hoping it's not as 
underfunded as that was. Uh, no, I this hope- is a multi-million dollar big budget spectacle. Yeah. I like seeing a lot of the creatures. I like the gelatinous cube, the displacer beast. I liked the fat dragon. Yes. Because to me, that's what... acid, by the way, not fire. It was a acid well, there, was, dragon. there was the one that was flying spitting acid, but yeah. later there's one that's fat, fat sitting on a mountain and this guy's sliding down towards it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that because to me, that's what a really old dragon would be. I've got my horde. I'm not going anywhere. I'm just going to see her well, get fat. My, my thoughts there were, I don't know if you guys have ever run or read Out of the Abyss. Mm-mm. But it looks like they're doing some underdark stuff in it because they show you like the, I guess, Mitzelbranzen probably. I don't know if they're going to use the Forgotten Realms names or not. Um, but there is a dragon that's in the Out of the Abyss, camp- Out of the Abyss campaign that lives in Gontelgrim, which is the like the Duragar city. And he is like a fat old dragon and he gets fed by the Duragar as long as he blows fire to keep their forges lit. Mm. and uh, the players interact with him and he's like, hey, I need you to go steal this thing from the priests. And if you do, you know, you'll be on my you'll be my friend and you go and steal it. And it's a dragon egg because the priests were trying to replace him. His name was Thimberchild, I think. And so he's like, go kill them because I don't want to lose my sweet gig. <laughs> and so that's the first thing I thought of when I saw the big fat red fire dragon was this is Thimberchild, you know, down on there, chunking around, just lighting fires to get his belly fed. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I like that they're showing the. Oh, oh, good. I like the different classes, and I hope that they do it well. I really hope they do magic well, and not just, you know, point the finger, wave your fingers, and everything explodes. Like I really want them to get into all the. You got to actually say the verbal component of the spell. Like let's get right into what D and D should be. But I'm really hopeful. It looks like they've got better equipment at least for the different classes not everybody wearing leather armor with lipstick on like previous ones but i'm trying to keep my expectations here so i could be excited when i get there and be blown out of the water Uh, again we've been burned before by some DD movies um i love the trailer i thought it was great uh the writer and director i believe is the same duo that did the game night movie that came out in 2018 which I think is hilarious. I actually went back and started watching it last night and was like cackling at one of the scenes early in that movie. And I've seen the movie before and I'm just like, if they can bring this energy to that movie, I think it'll be a lot of fun. I think it's going to be a straight up comedy though. I mean, I think that just go into it knowing that it's supposed to be funny. Uh, so if anything happens, it's like, that's not how that works. I think they're going for the humor aspect. And you know, as long as you're cool with that, I think it'll be good. Yeah. All right, so we're running along, so we're going to leave some stuff for so Jake can come back in the future. So we're going to move into our second improv game, and that is Where Have My Fingers Been? And this is a game where we're going to create a short scene, prompt one another to talk about, again, with two or maybe more characters, if you want to be like Scott and Phil Froggy. Uh, Jake, you once again, you're the guest, so do you want to prompt Chris or I first, or do you want to receive your prompt first? Oh, man, I guess I'll prompt first so I can see it done, but I need a little bit of help on what these prompts are like. So you, well, so um, basically the prompt is, yeah, so you have to sing the song first. It's very important. New York Tater will flip tables and it's just really bad. We don't want to upset him. So the song is, where have my fingers been? I said, where have my fingers been? And then the person will prompt something like, your fingers are in line to see a new Star Wars movie. Or your fingers are discussing the D&D trailer. And it's just any scene that you can think of that would involve two or more. 
people. And then you just act out finger puppet style the scene. Like, I think this is going to be great. I heard it was the same director who did the last one that was terrible. Well, I think you're in it. And then you just kind of go back and forth till you're done. Okay. So I will prompt. Who do I prompt? You can prompt Chris or myself, either one. Oh man, oh, man, I, I don't know. I, I like Chris a lot, but Michael, you're the boss. So I don't know. I, I guess I'll go with Michael just so I can see hopefully the pro, right? The pro. Uh, no, no. <laughs> I, I intentionally leave out acts in my three act structure just because I think it's funny. So where have my fingers been? I said, where have my fingers been? Your fingers are uh, a DM and a player and the DM has caught the player fudging their roles. Okay, so I get it. You've had a long day at work. Your boss is a jerk. Your kids don't respect you. And this is your one time to shine. And yes, you had that amazing one-liner where you insulted the druid priest and really put them in their place. But when you rolled your D20, what it is is what it is. The hell you say you have a podcast where you talk all the time about how rolling dice is just to make noise and you can do whatever the hell you want. So you can just back the F off me, man. Fair. Fair enough. Okay. Druid's dead. And that's where my fingers have been. Hey. Yay. <laughs> Wonderful. All right. So I will prompt Chris and then Chris will finish the loop talking about prompting you. So uh, Chris, if you want to sing the song, please. All right. Where have my fingers been? I said, where have my fingers been? Your fingers are the last two members of a party that are about to draw from a deck of many things, but one of them has been counting cards and knows that mostly there are bad cards left. <sighs> poor, poor old Jake. He just had to pull the death card. <sighs> he will be missed. I got his stuff, so maybe not so much. Well, uh, maybe you should go. Oh, no, 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 no. After you, I insist. Well, but, but why after me? Because you're closer. That doesn't make any sense. They're in your hand. Uh, I don't have hands. I'm a finger. Ah, good point. I'll get it. No. Ha, now I have his stuff. And that's where my fingers have been. Yay. <laughs> All right. So it's down to you, Jake. Jake, you All right. sing this. Here we go. Please. Where have my fingers been? I said, where have my fingers been? Uh, you are trying to learn to 3D print. All right, sir. I'm going to need you to just take this, uh, this filament. Or Where's the filament? Where does it go? No, sir. Sir, you just take the spool and you're going to put it onto the little... Where? A spool? I thought you said filament. Okay, sir, sir, I need you to calm down and I need you to just grab this, right? It's right here. Just pick it up. Okay, okay. Now put it in the printer. We're, we're printing now? <laughs> That's where my fears have been. Yay. I awesome. feel like you've been there. All right. So I did work at Best to- Buy. The, the last uh, section of the game or the show tonight is cryptozoology. And this is where we talk about a monster, usually from D&D, but not always. And I talk about maybe some ways we've used this monster in the past, potentially brainstorm some interesting ways we could use it in the future. Jake, again, you are the guest tonight. So have you brought us a monster to discuss? I have. Sir? The best of monsters. 
Okay. The Rust Monster. The Rust oh, mo- it has monster in the name. Yeah, yeah. So yes. you know it's a real monster because it says it in the name. It's like that. Yeah. Uh, the name likes muggers. It must be good. So <laughs> in fifth edition, the Rust Monster is on page 262. It is a medium monstrosity. Uh, it's a challenge rating one half. It uh, basically has an iron scent. It can smell iron, metal. Um, if any non-magical item, metal item touches it, so even if you attack it, it gets um, a, a cumulative negative one penalty. If that uh, penalty ever reaches negative five, it falls apart. Um, if the if it's unmanned iron, if it's just like a thing of iron laying on the ground or metal, it just touches it and it disappears one cubic feet. So... Uh, Jake, I guess I'll start with you. You're the one who want to talk about it. Have you used a Rust, Rust Monster before? So the first time that I was exposed to Rust Monsters, I was running um, the one shot from, I guess, a free RPG day or something that Wizards of the Coast did, the Lost Laboratory of Qualsh, where it's like a crashed alien spaceship and whatever. And they kind of see them as like almost alien. And I think mm. technically in the lore, they're from a different plane of existence, maybe? Um, but I don't know. I, I didn't look too much into them. But ever since I saw them, I was like, oh, my gosh, these are so freaking cool. What sucked, though, is now all my players are so high level and that they all have magic items like it would be there would be no fight at all. Right. So here's what I would imagine. Right. You got a low level party and you got a rogue classic guy. He steals something. Right. This is what you do. You make a bounty hunter that has pets that are rust monsters. And so like he goes and he's like, go get him boys. And then they go around sniffing for metal. And then you find it. And just like two of those things start taking down AC, start taking away damage from their weapons, you know? And then just Mm. like, finally the bounty hunter comes in at the end and cleans up the mess. And he's like, everybody's like really low on AC HP and damage. It would be really, really scary. That would be a hard challenge because nobody would know until after the first hits went down that oh this is now a worthless weapon that i'm using <laughs> yeah that was uh, kind of my first thought as well is that almost treat them like a truffle pig in a way where mm-hmm. like they you know you use them as as pets to like seek out certain types of minerals and maybe you could even train it like one can search for gold and one can search for silver and along those lines mm. you could have one that you could just like you know this is the person or this is the item that was stolen and it could track just that item and as a way to just to track a person like a thief too that could steal something. So that was actually very close to what I was thinking at first. Chris, you have any experience using these or any thoughts on how you could use one in the future? Uh, I used them a long time ago uh, as a young GM and I used them poorly because mm-hmm. I used them to punish the players who thought they were getting too big from back to my story, like we talked about earlier, and it wasn't good. It didn't go over well. Uh, taking players' items away just to be, I don't want to say mean, but to prove a point wasn't a good idea. It uh, created a lot of sour feelings. Mm-hmm. And that was the only time I've ever used them because I remember how badly it went. So I didn't want to ever use them again. Um, I, it's hard for me to put them in a story because, I mean, they sit underground and all they do is eat metal. Mm-hmm. I can't think of a reason why I would put them in a story. Uh, anymore i could see using them in like a ooh, like a coliseum type thing where the gladiators mm. are fighting and the rust monsters are on the edge mm. like in the movie gladiator when they had the lions but instead yeah. it's rust monsters that would steal your equipment that could be fun that would be cool 
Uh, I definitely think maybe like a circle of druids might try to use them as like guardians and pets and druids don't generally use metal items. So they could use them as like defense so that, you know, anyone who comes to fight them has to go through those. I do like that too, of like one of them getting uh, uh, enlarged to like a gigantic dinosaur or Godzilla size. And it's like stomping through town, eating everything of metal. And all the soldiers are trying to fight it with all their spears. As soon as they just get, you know, anywhere near it, they're, swords or there's you know swords fall apart their armor falls apart so then the encounter isn't actually killing it it's how do you get it away how do you lead it somewhere safe or shrink it back to size anything else from you jake any ideas man you guys are way better than me i'm uh, i got the bounty hunter and that was it that's a solid (laughs) idea though that's a great one uh boba fett could have used it yeah oh yeah because can they eat beskar though Ooh, beskar Uh, tom any thoughts yeah, that's a good question for Tom. I would say uh, it's possible. Why not? They've got a creature that blocks the force. They can yeah. have something that eats Beskar. True. Anti-Mandalorian metal rust monsters. That That's vicious. I want to see that in season three. You hear me, Favreau? Baloney, yeah. make that happen. I'm sure they're tuned in right now. Or maybe Baby Yoda can eat Beskar. He eats everything else. At least tries to, yeah. Yeah. Until they yell at him. Um, <laughs> So as always, we'll throw it out to the audience, anyone listening, if you've had any very memorable encounters, either as a player or as a GM with a rust monster, we'd love to hear it. Or if you have an idea for a a new um, encounter that you've never actually done, but you'd like to see, throw that out to us as well. You can email the show, therpgacademy at gmail.com, or just reply to the Facebook post or the Twitter post when this comes out. All right, so we're now at the final section of the section of the show, and this is our audience Q&A. We have several people who are watching. Thank you all for hanging out and chatting. If you have any questions for us as a group or individually, now is the time. Um, I know there's a little bit of delay, so we're going to give a few seconds for people to catch up. So, Jake, where can people find you? Again, you don't have Twitter, but do you have any social media or anywhere they could go to connect with oh, you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash frenziedfurling. Um, I stream on Tuesdays. That's Tuesday Noobs Day. And then every other Wednesday, you can find me here on the RPG Academy. I'm DMing the Everwar Saga. Check it out. It's really cool. And then Thursdays are technically Minecraft Thursdays, but we haven't Minecrafted for a while. All right. Chris, what about you? Uh, Easiest place is on Twitter. Uh, It's Burlu underscore Chris. And you can still hear me GMing on The Redemption. Uh, we're going to be starting up in September as we record our final season. So that'd be pretty exciting. Era. Yeah, I have no idea how it's going to end. <laughs> Hopefully, with like a Death Star blowing up or something. Yeah, uh, maybe it getting built. That's Ooh. closer to where we are in the storyline. Gotcha. But we'll see. All right. Uh, as for myself, of course, you can find me at the RPG Academy for most of the stuff that I do. I do have the Smallville pod, uh, podcast, Farm to Fable. It's kind of starting to grow. We're getting listeners, getting some new reviews. That's all very exciting. And somewhat unrelated news, I'll share just because it's funny. So I, the the organization that I work for through the school that I work for is called AmeriCorps, and it's a volunteer organization. So technically, I don't work for them, but they pay me to work at the school. It's weird. Anyway, um, they are trying to get together a nationwide social media campaign to highlight what the volunteers are doing in their various communities as as related to mental health, because that's their charge. 
So right now my school's not in session. So I'm not really doing a whole lot with the school. So I don't have anything to share, but I did bring up, Hey, I have this podcast called farm to fable. And one of my recurring guests is a youth and adult uh, adolescent child, child psychologist. And we talk about that a lot on the show. So they're going to feature farm to fable on their national social media campaign. I have no idea what that really means. I'm probably like a tweet or something, but still that could be cool. Right. So maybe yeah, we'll get a absolutely. bunch of uh, new people listening for that aspect. That would be fantastic. Um, and then we don't have any questions coming yet, but there's one question that we ask every guest. So we'll ask that to Jake while he's here, while we give a few more seconds for any other questions to come through. Jake, imagine you were being turned into an action figure. So not you physically turning into an action figure, but someone's making an action figure of you. What are the three accessories that would come in your package? Uh, probably, uh, some candy be like candy. a little, little candy for me to have. Do you have a specific uh, candy? What's your favorite? Gobstoppers. Gobstoppers. I'm a I'm I a frozen them. Rolo man. I have a bag of Rolos in the freezer at all times. <laughs> um, let's see. What else would there be? There would probably be like uh, keyboard and mouse, just because mm-hmm. I'm always in front of my computer, whether it's for work or for fun. Um, and then, man, probably Legos. I got a little box of Legos, right? Nice. And then they're interactive, where you can open them and play with itty bitty tiny itty, Legos, microscopic. Legos, yeah. What what would those build? Like if you put those together, what what could you build out of your included Legos? I mean, all the Legos I have are just Star Wars ships. That's it. It's those are the only kind of buy, except I do have R2D2. The rest are all Star Wars ships. All right. Fair enough. Well, I appreciate you playing our Rainier games. We don't have any other questions that came in, so I think we'll wrap it up there. Chris, as always, pleasure. Uh, so awesome. no show next week, which it'll be Everwar Saga. I will be at Gen Con. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm sure I'll be talking about my experiences there. Um, if you're going to support a Catacon, please go and sign up for the notification. Um, if you can't come, but you want to throw like $5 just as support, I absolutely would love you for that. So please consider helping us out. We do have an aggressive goal this year because we lost money last year. We're kind of having to hedge our bets a little bit um, in case we have another down year and I don't get so far in the hole. Uh, so your support would be greatly appreciated. So uh, Jake, any final words before we sign off? Uh, thank you for having me uh, and come see the Everwar saga on Wednesday. It'll be fun. I promise. Nice. Chris. All right. Just what Tom would always make sure we say. If you're having fun, you're doing, you're doing it, right. it right. Thanks. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize, but there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. 
just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.